You're with the Rob O'Donnell Show here on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM, or anywhere on that Odyssey app. It is 410 here in the studio in Pittston. 75 degrees and beautiful outside. Make sure you get some time outside. The Road the Rob O'Donnell Show is brought to you by Road Scholar Transport. You have unique shipping needs, and Road Scholar has unique shipping solutions. Dry van, temperature controlled, high security are just a few. Visit roadscholar.com. Before we get into our next segment, let me just go to uh, Mike from Manuka on electric vehicles, since we were talking about that in the last segment. Mike. Yeah. You're on the air. What do you got on electric yeah. vehicles? I want to know, even if you gave everybody one, is what I'm trying to say. Even if you give everyone, everybody one, where are we going to plug them in? That was my point exactly yesterday. I think the, the city of Scranton alone only has about anywhere between 10 and 15 chargers for it's the entire it's city. An impos- it's an impossible dream. I don't understand what they're thinking. I mean, the cars on the road, look how many. Just look at L.A. traffic, New York traffic, Atlanta. How, how's everybody going to have a battery? It's not going to work. Nope. I, I agree that the, they're, putting, they're putting the mandates before the infrastructure is in place. It's, we, yeah, we, we do not have the elect, electricity for it. Look, listen, from the existence of man until... 120 years ago, man, we were walking. We were on horses. We, you know, look what we did to, just to be able to travel somewhere. And now they want to go back? Are you kidding me? <laughs> They're going to have us all on horses soon if they have their I way, Mike. I mean, I have a Mustang, and I want to keep driving it. Well, you know what I mean? And it's not an electric one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you keep doing you, Mike. I, I have my F-150, and they're gonna. Uh, it's going to be a long day before I get an electric vehicle just for the amount of miles I go. Well, just in case anybody important is listening to this, it's it, it's an impossible dream. It's it's not going to work. And until we have the grid and infrastructure in place, I agree with you there, Mike. And in the name of what? Uh, saving the planet, man. First, we got to learn to take care of ourselves, each other. Yeah. All right, Rob. That's a great one, Mike. I appreciate it. All Thanks right. for checking take in. Take care, man. Thank you. All right, bye. Well, our area in Northeast Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania as a whole. Now I have uh, Steve Zayak in here from our sales department who's also a PIAA referee yes he is thanks for having me Um, and we we have a desperate need for yeah desperate is an understatement excuse me with uh sports officials all sports yeah right I've been on talked with uh Nikki's show Bob's show earlier uh in the weeks but so the PIAA needs sports officials particularly in northeastern Pennsylvania which is where I work uh basketball in district two here in the Lackawanna League Lackawanna League has, I think, about 26 schools that play basketball. So on any given night, it's 13 games. Between the varsity and the junior varsity, you're going to need about 65 officials. We just don't have enough people. And for basketball, how many officials do they need per game? So for varsity game, it's three. Sub-varsity is two. Um, So the, the Lackawanna League has taken it upon themselves. They do a real good job. Brian Durkin's involved. Joe Gilhul. Brian's the... um, Athletic director at Forest City Regional. Joe's the athletic director at Montrose. They are holding, and we've done this before, um, officials, all officials, so any sport, recruitment seminar. So two steps if you're interested in becoming a sports official here in Northeastern PA. Go to PIAA.org. You can register. It's 40 bucks. They send you a rule book and a sample test. Then the second component is at this officials recruitment seminar next Thursday, so one week from today at 5 o'clock. Lakeland High School, you show up and take the test with the help uh, and guidance of officials that have worked, veterans, assigners, 
chapter interpreters, uh, rules interpreters. So we, the goal here is we want to get you to pass the test, <laughs> right? And we want you to start working games. Yeah, they need help. They don't want to prevent it. So yeah, don't we, be intimidated yeah. by it. We're, uh, <clears throat> we're not trying to make it hard on you. We're going to help you. We're going to get you. To, you're going to pass the test. You become certified as a PWA official. Right now, we're coming into winter sports season, which kicks off practice in a few short weeks. And basketball is the main one. Wrestling goes on. Swimming as well. I don't know. Actually, shouldn't say. I'm not sure if there's officials for swimming or not, but I know wrestling and there basketball is. there are. Yeah, there's officials. My daughter was on the swim teams. There's actually a few there between the, the ones who watch the pool and the ones who watch the timing and an yeah. area such as that. So I believe it's two or three for that as well. Yeah, so when you start adding up the schools, you start – and this is just Lackawanna League. So you're looking at Susquehanna to the north, Old Forge in Lackawanna County to the south. To the east, we go out to Delaware Valley. Again, I believe it's 26 schools that have basketball, and you're counting – Varsity, which is three officials, JV is two, freshman, junior high, boys and girls. So the numbers add up very quickly. One of the pieces of good news is in the last year, our local chapter, Scranton Basketball Officials, which feeds into the Lackawanna League for officials, we uh, had about 20, plus or minus a few, maybe 22 or 23, officials uh, new on our on our roles, which is great. If we can continue to do that, well, the problem will be fixed in about – Eight years, I would think, something along those lines. So, again, next Thursday, November 2nd, 5 o'clock at Lakeland High School, PAA, Lackawanna League. Chris Thomas here is texting me, telling me we have 24. Uh, <laughs> I think he's saying referees that that came in, um, but he wanted to make sure I got that right, so thanks. But next Thursday, November 2nd, 5 o'clock at Lakeland High School. Up in my neck of the woods. Yep. So, it's pretty simple. If you, if you got questions, you need to register ahead of time. Brian Durkin, who's the athletic director at Forest City Regional. Joe Gill, who's the athletic director at Montrose. You can get in touch with them. And if you ever need to, you can call the station here, call the studio. You can shoot an email over to Jake, whoever's in. Let them know. They'll get it to me, and I'll get you set up. But short uh, short time, short turnaround. It's coming up in a week. Yeah. And it's a, it's a critical shortage. I see a whole bunch of referees that I work with there. And as far as the sports that they can choose to ref, do they have a say in it, or is it just put out by the PA? Like, if you want to co, if you want to official track and field, if you want to official basketball or football or lacrosse or field, yep. I mean, there's so many expansions of sports here. Yeah, it's anything. Limited. Any sport that you want to get certified in, you can do it. You got to go to PAA.org and register. It's very straightforward. Yep. Then on next Thursday, you can go to. Lakeland High School, just got to let them know you're coming, bring a laptop, and you can get tested right there. They'll have, say you're signing up for a lacrosse, and they know you're coming. They will make sure that a lacrosse referee, they'll make sure that one of the supervisors is there. Mm -hmm. Hopefully our esteemed District 2 male officials representative, Dave Elliott, will be there. He knows all the rules to all the sports, so he'll be able to help you out. Um, Or his counterpart, Maureen Williams, the female rep, she's fantastic as well. And they'll make sure that if they know that you're coming, they're going to have somebody there to help guide you through the test. They're not going to take it for you. But, you know, Wink's as good as a nod to a blind man, right? Yeah. We want to help them pass. So that's our deal. That's what we That's what we want to get done. Outside of helping our community, teaching the kids in our communities fair play and, and, and being an official, what are the benefits of being a PIAA official? Well, you get paid. Me? Yeah. Well, that's always a good benefit. Right. We get paid to do it. And you're out, you're staying active. It's a lot of the times people say, "Oh, you need to be an official to be, you, you need to have been a player to be an official," and I completely disagree with that. Most of the people that I referee with, and again, I only do basketball, but most of the people that I work games with have played at some level, 
but you're not going to see a whole bunch of Division One college basketball officials or basketball players coming back to referee. It just doesn't happen. Having an outside outside point of view helps, right? So yeah. you're staying involved with the team aspect of things. If I have to work, I live in Olifant. If I have to work in Delaware Valley, there's going to be a couple guys that live near me. We're all going to drive together. It's, a, it's, it's the camaraderie, if you will. Yep. You still are uh, involved in that. And uh, I used the example when I was on Bobby's show the other day talking about it. I took my kids to a high school football game at Mid-Valley for the first time. I've been to a game in years. And that feel is great. You know, you're outside. It's mm-hmm. a nice, cold, brisk. Kids are popping helmets and playing football. And if we don't have referees and we don't have officials, that goes away. The Friday night basketball goes away. The after-school soccer goes away. So that's what we're... We want to increase the opportunities for our kids to be that's doing correct. something constructive. It, yep. It's been proven kids who are involved in extracurricular activities, especially sports, thrive better in their school environment, thrive better in their work environment because it's a team environment. That's right. And, you know, that team is officiated by officials, and yep. we need the officials to make sure there's fair play out there and the rules are being followed yeah. for the safety and protection of everybody and the enjoyment of the games. Correct. I appreciate your time. So it's, Thanks for uh, having me in. But next Thursday, November 2nd, 5 p.m., Lakeland High School. Get to PIAA.org, register, and then after that, we'll get you set up. Sounds great. Thanks for coming in, Steve. Let Thanks us know. And if you're out there interested, check out PIAA.org and get involved with the game, literally. It's uh, 420 here at WILK. It's time for traffic and weather. Thank you, Rob. This Pentella Data Internet Traffic Update. We have heavy traffic and delays as well as construction on North River Street in Wilkesbury. You are jammed up between Pierce Street and Wilkesbury General Hospital. You can expect delays also on North Kaiser Avenue in Scranton near the Morgan Highway. And there is a slight slowdown, 81 southbound. Coming from Scott Benton. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, WILK Traffic. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from our meteorologists over there. Tonight, clear, low 55. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds, high 78. Saturday, partly sunny with scattered showers arriving late. High 75. Sunday, scattered showers. Cooler, high 54. Monday, Cloudy, breezy, and showers high 50. It's 75 degrees and sunny here at 421 at your official weather station, WILK. You're with the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It is 425 here in the studio, 75 degrees and sunny. So we've had this shooting up in uh, Lewiston, Maine. Uh, I've been through Lewiston, Maine. I know the area. I've been there. It's uh, you know, a, a small town, pretty much. Uh, it's it's actually in the top five largest cities in Maine, and that goes a lot to show you how rural Maine actually is. It's about thirty-seven thousand people, and, and if you put it in perspective, the entire state of Maine has the population of Northeast Pennsylvania. I think it's one point three million in total. It's a very rural community, very rough terrain. As far as, uh, you know, if, if you think Pennsylvania, rural Pennsylvania is rough country or in woods and in the middle of nowhere, uh, Maine just blows it out of the water as far as the swamps, the the, the rhododendrons. The, the, I mean, if you could just imagine going through the most hardest terrain and brush you can imagine with marsh and swamp and everything else that's up there, Maine, Maine pretty much has it. Plus, you had the mountains. You know, you had the weather and everything else. Like I said, our Navy SEER school, survival, evasion, 
resistance and escape school is there where we send our Navy SEALs, where we send our pilots. That's our tier one school for, for people who may be captured by our enemy is located up in Maine. It's also outside of San Diego County on the West Coast in the mountains there where it's more deserty, mountainous terrain, where here it's, it's more swampy, you know, the woods and such like that. But that's where this person's out there. There's also a lot of schools located up there. Matter of fact, one of the reasons I was up there in that area was to tour some of the schools. Colby University, one of the mini Ivies up there. Bowden College is up there. We went through, you know, as, as when I was going through the recruiting process for my son. And uh, I saw a lot of questions of, of, first, he was a person of interest. And I'm not going to say his name. He's garbage. He should be ridded from the earth, hopefully, when the authorities find him. Why, you know, he went from just being a person of interest to the latest press conference this morning, just before, you know, about noon, was that he has murder charges for eight pending or being filed against him. And and the reason that is, and it's if you've seen the pictures of him coming in the bowling alley with his AR-style rifle slung, there were very good camera angles, very good video surveillance there. So... Looking at it from the investigative angle that, that I tend to look at things as, that, that bowling alley, that, that facility probably had very good surveillance system where they have video of everything that went on there. So there's indisputable evidence that he did shoot and murder those people, where in the other location, there may not be. So they can easily file those charges now because they have video evidence of him committing those murders, which is why he's only facing eight murders at the current time. In addition to the you know the eighteen dead that were getting reported up there, and that's something else that happens. It was originally twenty two reported, and then it's down to eighteen, which is good. And it was fifty or sixty injured and wounded, down to thirteen, which is you know outstanding news. But make no mistake, I, I just read that the Coast Guard is involved with this now because of the river terrain that's there. They are involved in the search as well. You have all federal, state, and and local assets. And not only that, you have local assets from other jurisdictions. I would not be surprised if our local assets that have been become experts here in Pennsylvania, as far as the searches we've had here, most recently the Cavacante down in southern Pennsylvania. You know, we had the Everett Freen search here that lasted a few months. That assets from here go up there. I know when we had the searches here in our state, assets from out of state came. You know, the New York State Task Forces were here. Connecticut Task Forces were here. New Jersey Task Forces were here. So I, I could see them sending the same assets up there because this is a tremendously rural area up there. The towns are small. And it just goes to show you that things like this happen anywhere. And we really need to take that to heart. Instead of politicizing this instead of saying this and that. Yes, there, there were a ton of, of red flags here. And, and the state of Maine has what's yellow called yellow flag laws. They have them in place. I'm getting reports. Uh, obviously, I believe he's been in the National Guard up there since early 2000s, 2002, 2003, maybe sticks out in my in my mind. Um, I saw one of my my military journalists out there give a warning on social media saying because he has these list of awards and because there's military records out there from the National Guard, he's not highly decorated. These are very common awards for someone who spent the amount of time he spent in the National Guard. They're basically, a lot of them are participation medals just for the time he's been in. 
So because there's been one or two saying he's a highly decorated soldier that committed this. And as someone who I know who writes for the Military Times and does military journalism, warned journalists, journalists out there saying, hey, if you don't cover the military, don't run with he's a highly decorated. These are, these are just common participation medals that he has for his career. But they were aware, allegedly, the military, that he was committed for two weeks in a psychiatric for, for mental health reasons. I, I don't know where he was committed, so I shouldn't say psychiatric facility, but for mental health. What actions did they take? Uh, are, is their family involved? I know that I saw a witness, uh, uh, a statement from a family member saying that they were devastated by this and they were working with the police. So we're going to need to find out the facts on how a monster like this who snapped the way he did slipped through the cracks. Now, he also had domestic violence issues. So if these things are all documented, if he had domestic violence issues and he did check himself into a mental health facility, were the proper notifications known? Did the military notify civilian authorities? I mean, there's, there's going to be time to go through this. But, you know, was he supposed to have a weapon to begin with? Did he have it? Where did he get it from? We haven't seen these answers yet. Right now, the biggest concern is to get this monster off the streets because he is a clear and present danger to anyone that's out there. It appears that there was no specific target, just human life. At this point, there seems to be no political motive just to kill people. He was hearing voices. He, was, he had plans to attack, and he voiced these plans to other people to attack his military base, which is why it's, it's unknown at this time what actions they took. Were they aware of these threats? Did they bar him from coming onto the base, which is why he chose other targets? We're going to have to find this. But all the assets were spun up rather quickly. Like I said, I know friends who are law enforcement up there from towns 20, 30 miles from this area that were dispatched immediately from their homes. They were paged. They were called, hey, get your stuff, get your gear, go. Up there, like a lot of other rural areas, they do have take-home cars where they take their cars home. And they can respond straight from there for situations just like this. But the main concern now is where is this monster and how do we remove him from the streets? So that needs to be the primary concern. Every night that this goes is, is harder for the community there. We've lived through it here. We've seen it. But here's someone who has shown that they have no qualms about taking human life regardless of who they are you know to to attack a bowling alley to indiscriminately shoot a bar restaurant you know there was originally reports of a walmart that turned out not to really come from there but again when things like this happen all that goes out and the fact that they say you know he might have survival training he has been in the military for at least the early 2000s, be at the reserves, but still. You know, he has firearms training. Did he leave the car at the boat launch as a, a ruse to put people in that direction when he really did something else or had another plan? Did he have another plan? Or is he that far out of it to where he just is on the fly doing that? If that's the case, they have a better chance of catching him. If he did have a plan in place, escape routes in place, and preposition things, this might be a, another long-term endeavor. And I'm telling you, in the area where this has taken place, the rural nature of this is just incredible as far as uh, the ease to track someone like this. It's going to be extremely difficult.
So we'll talk a little bit more about this as we move on. And again, you call or text at 570-883-0098. It's uh, 434 here at WILK. We'll be back after the news with Paul Michaels. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 440 here in the station, 73 degrees and sunny. It's the point of the show where we honor our heroes across America who made the ultimate sacrifice. 69 police officers made the ultimate sacrifice on this day, four of them from here in Pennsylvania. We're going to start off with a trooper... Frank Joseph Bowen of the Pennsylvania State Police in 1983 was killed in a traffic accident while responding to assist another trooper with a stolen car. Police officer Charles Robert Reynolds of the Philadelphia Police Department in 1969 was shot and killed while making a traffic stop at the intersection of Chelton Avenue and Anderson Street. Patrolman Joseph Leekak. Homestead Borough Police Department in 1961 was killed in an automobile accident while responding to a gas line explosion and a fire in the downtown district of Homestead. Police officer Joseph John Francis Chino, Philadelphia Police Department in 1959, was a member of the highway patrol, died of a heart attack when he fell down a flight of stairs while looking for a burglar in a house of 18th Street near Sanson. Those are our four from our area here in Pennsylvania. It's uh, 441 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast for meteorologists over at Channel 16. Tonight, clear, low 55. Tomorrow, mix of sun and clouds, high 78. Saturday, partly sunny with scattered showers, arriving late, high 75. Sunday, scattered showers, cooler, high 54. Monday, cloudy, breezy, and showers, high 50. It's currently 73 degrees and sunny here at 442 at your official weather station, WILK. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show. It's 447. And if you do know why it's called Monkey Hollow Road, uh, I'd really like to know why. 73 degrees here and sunny. You know, we've been talking about EVs and the electric vehicles and such like that. And, and forgive me, I have a cough drop in my throat and my mouth because... Uh, of this change in weather is just killing my allergies in my throat. It's really scratched up my throat. Thankfully, I'm off tomorrow. And again, you'll have Sue Henry here filling in for me tomorrow, which always in good hands when Sue's here. So I appreciate her taking the time to come in. But back to the story here. Pennsylvania's share of broken electric vehicle charging stations, although small, points to a bigger, larger problem. There aren't many certified technicians to fix them. There are currently just under 63,000 DC fast and level 2 chargers, public charging stations, with over 161,000 charging ports across the country. So, okay, this is the fast chargers and the level 2s. Fast charger will charge your car in a half hour to 45 minutes. Level 2 can do it in maybe an hour to three hours. Where... uh, you know, the level one charger takes the whole overnight to do it. There's only 63,000 of these public charging stations, 161 port, thousand ports, the entire country. According to data provided by the U.S. Joint Office of Emergency, I'm sorry, the U.S. Joint Office of Energy and Transportation's website, approximately 7,900 ports at 4,200 locations are temporarily out of the service due to minor maintenance. Pennsylvania has just under 1,700 public charging locations. 
with 4,111 ports. So the entire state of Pennsylvania only has 1,700 charging locations with four, just over 4,000 ports. Of those, there are approximately 117 charging stations and 214 port ports, amounting to roughly 7% and 5% of the totals, respectively, that are t currently temporarily unavailable due to maintenance. PennDOT's Deputy Communications Director said that the figures for the temporarily unavailable stations are largely accurate and are due to a host of reasons many are truly temporary and the stations could be operational again the next day. The list and count of temporary unavailable stations actually changes every day. He said, adding that the state owns and operates few public charging stations and is not responsible for repairing those that are privately owned. There is a lack of technicians to handle these charging stations. They say that there's a general national shortage of electricians, like many other trades. Electricians are generally not needed to repair a non-working charging stations, but may be involved if the unit needs to be replaced or the electric service needs upgrading. So they say electricians hold an integral position in the rollout of the EV charging infrastructure and will be in demand. Employment in the field is expected to grow for 7.1% from 2021 to 2031 with around almost 80,000 openings for electricians projected each year. So if you're looking to go into a trade field, the uh, route you want to go is probably electricians. But to go back to the moral of the story, even a lot of the charging stations we do have here, and in Pennsylvania for the entire state, 1,700 with a total of 4,100 ports, is really not a lot. But when seven, five to seven percent of them are down and broken, it even exacerbates that issue. But the, one of the main reasons why they are broken and not repaired and often enough is because of lack of technicians for them. Again, an infrastructure process that hasn't been thought through. We are in need of the minerals to make the EV batteries. We are in need of the charging infrastructure. We are in need in the power plants to power the infrastructure. We are in need of the electricians to fix the charging stations that charge, them. but yet they have all these mandates. They stand up, spend millions of dollars to tell us, hey, we need to go in this EV direction. Well, like all past forms of transportation, if you build it, they will come. It's not if you force them to get it then they'll find a way to deal with it. That's not the way it works. They're, they're, why all of a sudden are they doing EV vehicles, battery-operated vehicles, the total opposite of anything else? You have to ask yourself that and wonder why. Who's getting the benefit? Who's getting the money now? Probably stayed a lot there. But if you look at the, the, what they're trying to force on us now, at every turn, there's another hiccup. There's another reason why we should be slowing down what we're doing. And have we seen any innovation on improving the combustion energies and engines that we have now? How about making a gas-powered engine that gets 90 miles to the gallon? Let's, let's put incentives for that to happen. 
let's put resources and government funding to, hey, you know what? If you can get a combustion gas-powered engine that can get 100 miles to the gallon or 90 miles to the gallon, we'll give you X amount of millions of dollars to invest in your company. Let's see if they go the route there at that point. Until then, let's just slow down and use all the above mantras. It's uh, 4.54 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It is 4.57 here in uh, 73 degrees and sunny. Well, if you followed the news, and I said this the second the gag order came out in the Trump case in New York, is uh, Trump has been forced to play by the rules, and he doesn't like it. He was found in contempt was made to take the stand, questioned by the judge, and um, stormed out after the fact. And it's interesting ally he's gotten in this, where the ACLU has been critical of the judge issuing a gag order, violating the former president's free speech. But like I said when the gag order was put out, and again, he could fight that through the normal avenues that he has to avail for him for the gag order, but... The gag order is probably for his benefit, and he still skirts that, and he's had to pay a $10,000 fine for that, and the judge said if it continues, it's worse. Now, he said he was talking about um, Cohen, and the judge took it he was talking about his staff because he said the person sitting next to him. Now, his clerk was sitting next to him, and that's who the judge assumed that the, uh, the comment was geared towards, but... Cohen was being questioned, so he was also next to him, and he said that, uh, you know, that was the case. This is not the first time he's been fined for violating a gag order. Last week, he was slapped with a $5,000 penalty, and it's not a money issue, $10,000, $5,000. It's just a matter of why does he find the necessity to keep testing those waters? I mean, I get if you're going to dispute the gag order on the terms of it's preventing you from talking about a lot of things that are going on to you, that's one thing. If you're using it to personally attack either witnesses, clerks, judges, the staff, the prosecution, it just does not fare well for you. And I understand that a lot of people feel that's the only avenue he has, the public arena. I beg to differ, and there will be plenty of time for that later. But if he keeps testing these waters, I could see the amounts continue to increase. And if that's not effective, you could be seeing the former president spend a night in jail for contempt. And it's uh, there's no reason to go down that road. So we'll see how this goes on, but we're going to monitor it here as it uh, continues. It's uh, almost 5 o'clock here in WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show after these messages in the break. <laughs> 